church to be able to celebrate the season of Advent. You know, it's not something our church has always done. Uh, and and I've, I, I don't know how you feel about what, you know, your church you grew up in or this church used to do about Christmas, but I always felt like um, Christmas was like a surprise party you knew was coming. <laughs> that makes any sense. You know, we, we wouldn't talk about it much, and then it would be Christmas Sunday, and then it would be over. Uh, so what I appreciate about us celebrating Advent is that it draws us more deeply into the story of the birth of Christ. And I know that every year we cover very similar themes. We talk about uh, anticipating the return of Christ. We talk about uh, hope and joy and peace and love. But it's an important time for us to draw us back into a story that we have heard, let's face it, a lot of times. As we celebrate the season of Advent and Christmas approaches, the world turns its attention to the birth of Christ, and we recognize that the coming of God's Son so long ago speaks to our past, our present, and our future. It is who we have been, it is who we are, it is who we will be, and we acknowledge that all of those things are formed by Jesus Christ by who he is and what God has done through him. So we celebrate his birth because his arrival here on earth marks the coming of our salvation. Today we uh, light the candle of love, and I just have to share with you that it's difficult to preach an original sermon on the love of God. (laughs) Just fair? Um. So I'm probably going to, I'm a spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you some things this morning that you have already heard before. (laughs) But there is a reason why there is so much to say about God's love. And that's something I think we fail to appreciate. The love that God has for us is overwhelming. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from this morning, it is this. As much as we may know that God loves us, we still do not understand the depth of his love. Because whatever you know about how God loves you, it is more than that. However vast you think it is, it is greater than that. In his song, How He Loves, David Crowder tries to explain the overwhelming force of God's love. And he uses two particular images to communicate this idea. In in the first verse, he says, You are jealous for me. Love's a hurricane. I am a tree. Bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. And then later he says, We are his portion and he he is our prize, drawn to redemption By the grace in his eyes. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And what he's trying to communicate to us is a love that is overwhelming, that if you were a tree to stand in it, you would bend under the love and mercy of God. That if you were swimming in the ocean of God's love, that it is so big and so vast that you would be able to drown in it. God's love is not a kiddie pool. It's something much bigger than that. 
So again, no matter how much you have heard about the love that God has for you, I, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm glad to tell you this, you still don't understand because it's still bigger than that. The story of Jesus is the greatest narrative about the love that God has for us, and there is nothing that compares to it. Um, By looking at, I'm sorry guys, I'm thinking I might have printed out the wrong set of notes. Oh no, okay. It's what happens when you write two sermons at the same time. Uh, I'm, I'm flashing back to, last, to what I wrote for tonight. Okay, good, we're all good, we're all in the same place. Well done, well done everyone. <laughs> I was like, there's a part of my intro that's not here, where is it? It's my intro for tonight. Wonderful. Uh, so let's get back to how much God loves us, even though, even though we make a bunch of mistakes. So the, the story of Jesus is the greatest narrative about the, God's love and the love that he has for us, and there's nothing that, that compares to this story. The story of Jesus sent by his Father as a willing participant coming to earth, living, teaching, healing, dying, and raising from the dead is the greatest story of love that exists. And by looking at this story, we understand what love is in a deeper way. Why? Because it is not a story about the way we love. We like love stories in our culture. Uh, There have been countless books written about love as it exists in relationships, movies, uh, different categories of movies even, that tell us what love is and what can be like. But if we were all honest with one another, all of these stories that we write or we create, um, they run up against limitations. Within human stories of love, there are points that people will not cross. There There is a bridge too far. There is the point of no return. And whenever the characters in these movies or TV shows or whatever reach that point, maybe they've reached it for the first time or the hundredth time, they are finally pushed beyond where they can go, and the story of love ends. But the story of God's love in Jesus sees the limitations. In fact, Jesus encounters in his own life about as many limitations as he can to where love should hit the wall and cease to be. But his story is not about love reaching its limits. His story is about a love that destroys all limits it encounters. That there is no bridge too far. It is a different kind of love. Now, God is the originator of this kind of love, meaning... uh, we would not know what this love is, and we, we wouldn't even know it existed if God didn't show us what it is. We read from 1 John 4, 7 through 8 this morning. 
Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God knows love. Love comes from God. God is love. But God isn't our kind of love. He's a different kind of love. I mean, we say that God is faithful and good and generous and forgiving. And, and this kind of love, yes, is in his nature. But these statements are overlook one major factor that we don't always appreciate as much as we should in this idea that God is love. And that is this, that God is willing to love us in spite of every iteration of an obstacle that we can put in the way of his love. God is love, but his love doesn't happen in a vacuum. Meaning that God has given of himself and been rejected by his creation more times than, he, than we can count. And it's no small thing that God is willing to continue to love his people when his people have been so awful to him over and over again. Now, this is where we really see a difference between our kind of love and God's kind of love, right? Because this is the limitation piece that we're talking about. If you are in a relationship with someone and they abuse you in some way, and you uh, get help, or you go to counseling, or you do whatever, and they continue to abuse you in some way, and they continue, and they continue, and they continue. Eventually, people that care for you are going to tell you what? Yeah, you got you to gotta get out of this. Well, but I love him, or I love her. Well, but this isn't, this isn't love. And, and then we try to help people out of those situations. I've, I've been in some of those places with people. But here's the weird thing. In the story of God's love, we are the abusers. And we have abused God again and again and again and again and again and again. And we've apologized for it. And we've said that we're going to do better and we promise him we're going to try. And then we kind of try. But we end up abusing him again. Why? Well, because we're sinners who are going to continue sinning against God. So sometimes we don't think about what God had to do in order to continue to love his people. So number one, God had to really love what he created, you see. God created us to be in relationship with him. We know from the Genesis story that he wanted an intimate relationship with humankind, represented by Adam and Eve. And from the very beginning of this relationship with God, we have shown that we will choose ourselves over him. But God, in a way that is totally unlike us, continues to love us even though we often, so often choose something or, or even anything besides him. And God still desires that he can have the kind of relationship that he wants with us. 
And this leads us to the, one of the most incredible things about God, and that is this. God is able to always see past the hurt that we have committed against him to what we could be if he loves us. You see that? God continues to love us because he is able to see what we can be with his love. He's able to see past the hurt. And, and here's the thing. Our rejection of God, in whatever way it is, is painful. It, it hurts him when we turn our backs on him. And yet God is willing to not let this failure on our part define what our relationship with him is like. Which means God is not willing to give up on you. Because he loves you. He has chosen you and he chose to act on your behalf. So the most remarkable thing about God is that his desire for redemption has overcome his desire for retribution. Now listen, someone wrongs us. How do we feel about that? We get pretty angry pretty fast, don't we? And sometimes that person will come and ask for our forgiveness. And sometimes we're not sure we're ready to forgive them. Sometimes we're not sure they're sorry enough about what they've done. Or maybe we'll let something drag on and on and on. And God doesn't want that in his relationship with us. His desire for reconciliation, for redemption, completely overwhelms his desire to put us in our place. And God has, in times before, punished his people for rejecting him. He has turned his back on them when they have turned their backs on him. But in the coming of Jesus, there is a new declaration that heaven is proclaiming to the earth. And he says, I love you, and therefore salvation has come. Redemption is here. What you have done, who you have been, will no longer be held against you. You will now be defined by my love for you. Okay, so what are the attributes of this love? We understand that he had to love what he created, that he had to be able to see past the hurt, and he had to let his desire for redemption overcome his desire for retribution. But what does this look like practically? You know, those are all things that, that God has to kind of do internally. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, explain it to us in the most plain language, I think, we see in the Bible. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. 
Now, there's a reason why people read this at weddings constantly, right? Because it is a pretty amazing description for us of what love could be. But I understand this. Paul never meant for this kind of love to be theoretical. Because he has experienced this love in action. This is the love of God. And he lets us know that love is the most important of any qualities we can have. It supersedes all other spiritual uh, characteristics or gifts. Get this, love is bigger than your faith. It's bigger than prophecy or spiritual gift. It's bigger than your knowledge or what you can know. And in fact, if you go out and do all kinds of good things for people, but you do not do it out of love, then it doesn't mean anything. If you don't have love, you don't have nothing. And love in particular will show itself in relationship with people. See, love is not theoretical. You cannot say, I love someone, and then not have your actions reflect that. Because love will show itself. It is patient and kind. It does not look to hurt others. It does not act in its own interests. It restores relationships, not growing angry or holding account of wrongs. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. And in this form, when love does these things, guess what? It never fails because this kind of love will always overcome whatever is in front of it this love is a really big deal and it is a rare thing but there is one specific element that the story of jesus communicates to us more effectively than any other about this kind of love and it is this this kind of love that God has and that he wants us to have for him and, and have for one another requires sacrifice. It requires it. It requires the lover to give up something of his or herself. Or maybe even to give up everything. God could have stood back and said he loved us. While, while all the time doing nothing to show his love. Instead, the story of the birth of God's son leads inexorably to his death. And in 1 John, we have these words. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So God did not just say that he loved us. He proved that he loved us by sacrificing Himself by sending Jesus here to die for us, we who are so undeserving of God's love are loved anyway. God sacrificed for us, Jesus died for us, not because we are worthy in some way or because we are so special or because we are chosen. He sacrificed for us because He loves us. 
While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. If his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. Sacrifice, then, is a huge part of loving like God loves. So it, not, it shouldn't surprise us that in the process of, of God sending his son to be a sacrifice for the world, that in order for this plan to work, God needed some people to sacrifice for him to catch on to what he was doing. And we see this in the main players of the birth story in Mary and Joseph. You see, salvation was not something that God was simply going to do to humanity. His plan was more involved in that because, yes, Jesus came to save, but he also came to live with us, to talk with us, to eat with us, to cry with us, to heal us from our physical ailments, and to teach us about who God really is because we didn't know who God was anymore. And we had gotten who he is terribly wrong. So in order to make this happen, Jesus couldn't just appear one day and say, ta-da, I'm the son of God. Instead, he had to live with us. And in order to live with us, he needed to be born. God needed someone who would get on board with this plan. So from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And then Mary says these remarkable words. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Look, here's the deal. I know you have some plans for your future, and I know you have some things you want to do. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to change your life in a way, um, let's see, that no one will believe, that will cause most people around to start talking badly about you. Um, we'll work on your fiancé because he's going to have a real hard time with this. Uh, you may have to like leave town for a while. And you know, initially, you may also have to flee the country uh, just to keep this baby safe. But blessed are you among women. I can almost see Mary trying to find the good news in all of this. It's fitting that the first people who were called to be part of this plan had to sacrifice so much. 
Yes, Mary would be blessed with a baby who would be the son of God, but the conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit kind of ruined the life she was going to have. But Mary was willing to give up that life so that the will of God might be done in her. You see, she decided she was going to love like God loves and not love like everyone else. And so if this is what God needed and what God wanted, she would sacrifice herself so that God's will could be done in the world. So by saying yes, her marriage, she didn't know if Joseph would be on board, and he initially wasn't. Her reputation, her hometown, her future, all of it was put on the line in her acceptance, but she would give it all up so that God could show his love to the world. So what did it take for Mary to say yes to God? Number one, Mary had to believe in the greatness of God. I mean, really believe it. Like buy-in, big time. In particular, she had to believe that God knew what he was doing, even if she didn't understand what was going on, and this felt like kind of a strange move to make. Secondly, she had to realize how much God loves his people. So this move was not meant to destroy her or to destroy the people of God, but that it was, it was something that, that God was going to work through and bring his love to the world. In order to put her whole life at risk, at risk willingly, Mary had to understand that God is a good God who loves his people, and he will always act on behalf of his people. And this invitation that he was extending to Mary was an invitation to be part of his greatest expression of love, the act of redemption. But this came at a cost to her. Therefore, Mary had to be willing to sacrifice herself for God's plan. How much of herself, church? All of it. It takes a lot for us to put ourselves aside so that we can accomplish what God wants us to accomplish. And this is not our natural tendency. We hold on to as much as we can on the way out the door. It reminds me of uh, when we used to take Zeke to get shots. It was difficult to get him out of the car. And at times, uh, one time when I wasn't there, he, he grabbed onto the door frame and refused to go in. We could get him inside the place, and then when it was his turn, he would grab onto the bench, get on the floor, and grab onto the bench and hold on. Finally, I would get him in the chair and, and get my arms around him and get him still while he was um, turning kind of exorcist on me. And the nurse would say, oh, honey, it's going to be okay. And I would say, lady, just do it. Sometimes that's us, you know. Would you do this for me? Sure. <laughs> and we grab onto the door. God needed someone who would be willing to go along with joy in her heart despite the difficulties, and Mary did just that. She agreed to participate in this crazy plan of God's, even though it would call for her to have to sacrifice so much. And this is what God needed. This is just what he needed was for someone to catch on to what love means and to be willing to sacrifice themselves for his plan. So what does this all mean? It means that God's love overcomes anything that would stand 
in its way. That's what Jesus is here for, and this happens through sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus is the embodiment of God's love in that he gave everything up out of his love for us. We are called to love like God, which means that we have to love sacrificially. We give up our lives for him, not not grudgingly, but willingly, because we love him. And we are called to love others in the same way, modeling a love that does not stop short, but instead overcomes. And here's what we find. When this love of God takes form, it changes the world forever. Because God's love is overwhelming. And it overwhelms anything that would come between us and him. He is jealous for me. He is a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his will and mercy. And all of a sudden, I am unaware of what God is doing to me. And the chorus just says this, Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us, oh. Oh, how he loves us so. Oh, how he loves us. How he loves us, oh. Praise God for his love, which wraps itself around us all the time which we forget about because we've heard it so long. But it is miraculous. It is overwhelming. And we could sing all day simply about the love of God. Because no matter how many times we've talked about it, no matter what's been said, church, we cannot say enough. Amen?